Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. To the book of Joshua again, Joshua chapter 3. Um, this morning it's page 145 in your Black Bibles. Um, or if you brought your Bible with you, you can go to Joshua chapter 3. Um, I'm going to start in verse 2. It's a particularly long passage this morning, so um, it might be helpful for you to, to um, follow along as we read. But just as we come, as we come to God's Word, let me, uh, let me pray for all of us. Father, we, um, we need your voice. Uh, the world needs your voice. And um, yeah, Lord, our response to that is to place ourselves right now in our homes and in this building before you open. And we just invite you come and speak to us. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Joshua chapter 3, starting in verse 2. It says, after three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you a whole list of people. Verse 11. See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is in full flood all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe. Tell them to take up the twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing. Carry them over with you. Put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you in the future. When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. 
when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Amen. So things for Joshua, things for the people have started to get pretty serious. The story is picking up pace. We began a few weeks ago in Joshua 1 looking at this idea that every time in the history of God's people he wants to do something new or take some people somewhere new, it always begins with an encounter with God where God meets a person or some people and tells them some things. That's happened in chapter 1. God has spoken to Joshua and he has helped the people prepare. Last week we looked at uh, the story of Rahab when the spies went into the city of Jericho. And Amy, as she taught last week, reminded us that the truth is God is doing something. The challenge for us is that when that is unveiled, will we be surprised by it or will we be ready for it? I don't know about you, but when Amy said that last week, that really kind of arrested me. That the truth is God is doing something And when that is revealed, will we be surprised by that or ready for it? Rahab is such an interesting person. She had every excuse to disqualify herself from what God was about to do. And yet she did the opposite. She said, I'm not going to disqualify myself. Actually, I'm going to choose to step into this God story that's unfolding around me. She deliberately chose to step into the story of God. What does that require of us? What does it mean for us to choose not to be passive, but to step in? Or perhaps a better way of thinking about that is to step across from where we are to where God is leading us. This text is all about crossing over from what was to what is and what will be. And it begs a really important question for all of us How do we actually leave the past and move towards God's good future? What does it actually mean for us to uncouple ourselves from whatever our life has been to what God wants it to be or become? Depending on your relationship with the past, that can be either a exciting, scary, positive, negative. My experience for most of us is, though, no matter how difficult traumatic even our past has been, stepping into the unknown is really, really difficult. It's really scary. I've said this many times. For so many of us, we actually prefer familiar dysfunction to unfamiliar freedom. We prefer a life that we know, even if it's broken and messy, than some unknown that God maybe is whispering to us about stepping into. How do we leave the past and move towards God's future? I'm going to resist the temptation of the bunny trail of Northern Ireland when we come to that question. Such an important question. What does it look like for us to say that was that? But what is God saying? And where is he going? And how do we move towards that thing? How do we actually do this? Verse three, the officers of the camp moved through 
everyone telling them, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. Such an interesting line Joshua finishes with. You are to spot the ark, follow the ark, because only when you're following it will you know which way to go because I'm taking you somewhere you have never been before. That's really rare in our lives. Like, New houses, new jobs, new family members, new communities, all sorts of new things. Really, once you've kind of lived a few decades, you realize that external new normally means internal same. Like, the thing around us can look really, really different, but stay there long enough and you bump into the same old you, the same issues the same problems, the same challenges. One of the traps, I think, particularly for our younger generation, is we're convinced that new external surroundings will result in new internal realities. And the reality couldn't be further from the truth. Wherever you are, there you will be. But Joshua says to these people at this time, you better learn how to follow this thing because... God is taking us somewhere we have never been before. I hope something in your heart or spirit resonates with that, and I hope it sounds like good news. We need somewhere we've never been before. It was funny when we talk about kind of emerging from COVID and pandemic to endemic and all this kind of stuff, and like, could we get back to some sort of version of February 2020? You know, if that's true, we're doomed, right? Like, I don't know if you remember what was actually going on in wider society in December 2019 and January and February 2020. The world was a bit of a mess. Chronic anxiety, depression off the charts, everybody utterly confused. Like, if our hope is that somehow we'll return to some version of what was in the past, there is no hope at all. My prayer for all of us is that with God's help, we would have the courage to follow him somewhere we have never been before. And my suspicion is that would be the first time for any of us. That's why things like Nua are so important. We actually want to see in our lives something that we've heard of but never experienced. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. You see, when Moses led the people in the wilderness, they had a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And the cloud and the fire represented the presence of God. And that's what the people followed. Whenever the cloud moved, they moved. Whenever the fire moved, they moved. Whenever it stayed still, they stayed still. They had been formed into a way of depending upon the presence of God and following it wherever it would lead. They don't have a cloud or a fire anymore. They have this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. It's this kind of box that holds the law that God gave to Moses. It's got some manna in it. It's a few other artifacts. And the artifacts and the content aren't really the point. They're really important, but they're not the point. The point is that the Ark represents the presence of God. Crossing over requires us to have a singular focus 
on the presence of God. How do we leave the past and move into a future that we have never lived in? We have to learn how to prioritize, see, and follow the presence of God. That would be so easy for us if we had a box that a couple of people carried and we just followed it, right? Like if Chris and James landed up here and they got the box on and we're like, it's going this way and it'd be very easy for us all to go, right, follow them. It's a bit trickier for us because we don't have the box. What does the presence of God look like when you see it? Most of the time for me, it looks like a question. Is that really him? Is that really God? I'm not sure. Look at verse 5. Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. So Joshua says, look, this ark, the presence of God is going to go out in front of you. You need to follow that because we're going somewhere we have never been before. And then Joshua says, consecrate yourselves. Because tomorrow you're going to experience something you never have before. To consecrate is the action of making or declaring something sacred. That's what consecration is. It's making something sacred. I wonder what springs to your mind when you think about the word sacred. What is sacred? What do you think sacred is? Perhaps like me, you relate to the late great meatloaf who cried, is nothing sacred anymore. What's sacred? Buildings? Artifacts? Books. The closest I could get this week, actually, when I was chatting with Dana over dinner, but this was vows. I kind of feel like my marriage vows, they're sacred. I, I couldn't really get much further, though. Like, what's, what's sacred? My kids, maybe? Joshua tells the people to make themselves sacred. When was the last time you felt sacred? Got out of the shower in the morning and went, sacred. Sorry for that image, everybody. You see, we have been actually formed with a completely other lens. That we're actually worthless. It's really hard whenever you have a lens that's the opposite of what God's is. It's like a paralyzing effect on your spiritual formation. Because God's trying to get you to understand that you're sacred and you're stuck under the weight of feeling worthless. Joshua says, you need to consecrate yourselves. You need to make yourselves sacred. Why? Not so that we could run around thinking we're awesome. Couldn't be further from the truth. So that we could see correctly. So that we can see correctly. You see, there was a pretty intense list of things that the people had to do in order to consecrate themselves. They had to wash themselves. They had to wash their clothes. They had to abstain from all kinds of things, including sex. And they had to confess their sins to each other. This is all part of the process of them becoming sacred. Why? Because consecration coming sacred was about the ruthless elimination of distraction. In consecration, we get clarity. 
In consecration, we set down our own lenses, our own thoughts, our own habits. In consecration, we strip ourselves of all of that stuff and we say, God, show me who you are so I can see myself and therefore see you. Show me who you are so I can see myself and therefore see you. Consecration gives us clarity. So what is your life focused on? What's your life focused on? What do you spend most of your time looking at? Any of you get ashamed when you get that little report of the hours and the minutes per day? What's your life focused on? In the absence of a box, our need for clarity is only amplified. There are a million things every day vying for our attention and our devotion, and it is in consecration that we learn to see, and it is only when we can see can we follow. It is only when we learn to see that we can learn to follow. Leaving the past, moving into God's future, requires us to relearn how to see. And that requires us to let go of some things and to become, yes, sacred. The story goes on and gets a bit mad. Verse 8, God speaking to Joshua, he says, Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Tell the guys carrying the box, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. We, we find out later in the text that the river is in full flood. It's in full flood. I don't know if you noticed the lagging last weekend, but a river in flood is an awesome sight and typically to be avoided, right? It's also worth pointing out that for most of the year, the Jordan was a really easy river to cross. 90% of the year, you could walk across the Jordan at almost any point and you'd get your ankles wet, but not much else. God tells Joshua and the priests and the people to cross the river at precisely the worst possible time to go and cross the river. I wonder how many of you can relate to God's voice like that in your life. Like when God shows up and speaks to us, often we go, are you for real? Like, have you any idea what's going on in my life? Do you know what's going on in my family right now? Have you seen what the last six months has been like? We've just finished a pandemic and now there's a flipping war and now you want to talk to us about other things? It would seem, if you pay attention to the story in the scriptures, that almost every time God speaks to anyone there's a long list of very justifiable excuses that they have. There is no such thing as the ideal time for us to prioritize the voice of God in our lives. God tells them to cross the river at precisely the worst possible time. The detail in the story it gets a little crazy. Verse 16, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap 
a great distance away at a town called Adam. Why is that detail important? Well, just imagine the, the priests are moving towards this river in flood. Now, remember, they aren't the guys that were involved at a leadership level when the people left Egypt. This is a whole next generation. They might have been kids. They might not have been born yet. But you can be pretty sure they've been told and retold and told and retold the story of the plagues, the let my people go, the leaving, being laden with Egyptian riches and then finding out that Pharaoh changed his mind and he sent his whole army after them and they get stuck at the Red Sea and they all thought they were going to get slaughtered and then Moses lifts up his hands and his staff and the waters part in front of them and they cross on dry land. So they've heard this story, they know this story, I can almost guarantee you they were expecting that story. They moved towards this raging river, kind of maybe nervously waiting for Joshua. Does he have a staff? I don't think he has a staff. What's he going to do if he doesn't have a staff? Maybe his hands will be okay. It'll just be hands, both hands. Both hands will make this river kind of part and we'll step into it. This is all going to be okay. And they step in and Joshua doesn't move and their feet are wet and the river is raging and they're like, okay, Joshua, anytime you like. And Joshua's smiling at them going, yep, go on, keep going. What do you mean? The river is still flowing. 19 miles away, the river stopped. The miracle happened the moment they stepped in the river. They just couldn't see it yet. How about that for a test of your faith? Just to give you an idea of how much water they might have had to kind of walk through is roughly about 11 miles of the river Lagan between the Island Art Center and the mouth of Belfast Lock. Adam is 19 miles away. So the amount of floodwaters between the Island Art Center and Belfast Lock twice has to flow through their legs as they continue to get deeper and deeper into this water. Imagine standing in the lagon outside Cutter's Wharf and needing to wait for that amount of water to pass through your legs and not get swept away. They step into the river, first a foot, then another foot, ankle deep, shin height, is coming over their knees. I can't help but wonder how many of them were filled with fear and doubt, but they keep going and the water keeps rising. How deep did they have to get before they realized God was with them? How deep do we have to get before we realize God is with us? You see, oftentimes, if you're like me and God's whispering to you about some mad thing, you're kind of like, okay, show me that you're with me and then I'll go. It just doesn't seem to work like that. Go, and I'll show you I'm with you. It's a totally different life. Go, and I will show you that I am with you. The miracle happened the moment they stepped into the river. It just took a while to arrive. We don't have time this morning for me to tell you the story upon story upon story of me living that story out. 
where I find out after the fact that God had done something mad that I had no idea about, but it was coming for me as I continued to follow Jesus. There is something about being in deep water and then discovering that God is with you, does something to you that can never be done in any other way. Why does God do that? It's a great question. Why? Why is it like that? Why can't it be some kind of assurance here and there and there and there and there? Why do we have to get into deep water before we realize that he's there? Because God designed you to be dependent upon him. And the Christian life only makes sense when we are. This was never supposed to be moral control. Just be a good person. That's really what Jesus wants. The people of God were always supposed to be a people who were radically dependent utterly on the presence of God at work among them. We are supposed to give our lives to impossible things. It's the whole point. And our faith and our Christianity gets so boring when we reduce it to read the Bible in the morning, go to church, and try to be a good person. It is supposed to cost. It is supposed to require you to have moments where you're like, if you're not real, I am getting swept away. When we follow Jesus, he always leads us into more than we think we can cope with because we were supposed to live our lives dependent upon him. Leaving our past requires us to stand in rivers. It requires us to stand in rivers. It requires us to get ourselves into water that if God is not real and he does not show up, we will get swept away. I wonder today, what river is God asking you to stand in? When we learn to stand in rivers, we learn what it means to be the people of God, a people full of faith and courage who are utterly dependent upon his presence among them. Consecration helps us to see. Standing in rivers helps us to be. And finally, the story ends with this kind of mad kind of detail about they cross the river. It's all gone really well. And then Joshua's like, find me 12 of the biggest lads you can and send them back into the middle of the river to get the biggest stones they can and bring them over here for us to build a memorial. Verse 6 of chapter 4 says, these stones are to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the, few of, sorry, the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. These stones are to serve as a sign among you to answer the questions your children will ask in the future to be a sign of the faithfulness of God. They build a memorial so that their children will know the story of God in their lives. We've talked about this many times over the years here, that legacy is such an important, is such an important word for the people of God. We were designed to live with a lens beyond our lifetime, to plant trees that we would never sit in the shade of to be selfless and sacrificial. God commands his people to remember over and over and over and over again. Remember, remember, remember. 
Because when we don't remember, we settle for religion absent of power. God calls us not to a nostalgic, back-in-my-day kind of remembering. It's more of a remember who I am and what I have done so that your hearts would be refilled with courage to say yes to the new ground I am calling you into. The people of God have always left behind familiar places to move into new places that have life and freedom for everyone attached to them. Artifacts of earth and stone were aids to anchor and re-anchor the people in the story of what God had done, what he was doing, and what he would do. Slight side note. This is one of the reasons why I keep telling you to bring one of these with you. Not because there's magic in the paper. It's just that when you pick one of those up, it does something different to your soul than when you pick one of these up. I mean, I'm glad that I have a nap on here that if I had a crazy morning, I can play an audio version of the Bible in my car as I rush to a meeting But my days aren't the same whenever I do that versus whenever I am up early in a quiet corner with this. The paper is not magical, but the physical Bible anchors us in a way that a distraction device, also known as a phone, cannot. I found this this week when I was preparing this talk just about legible on the back this corner missing, but you can see an M, and then below that it says Masters, 11 Lena Street, Conswater, Belfast, Northern Ireland. It's my grandfather's Bible from around the 1932, three, somewhere around there. I can't see that, but it's gone in the pencil. That Bible reminds me Regardless of the numbers of my family or extended family who are following Jesus, that Bible, this Bible reminds me that there is a legacy in the scriptures in my family that is alive. And one day, my hope is that my grandkids or great-grandkids will be somewhere with this. Good luck trying to achieve that with an old iPhone. Artifacts of earth and stone and paper and ink anchor us in the real world. We live in a digital age. So much of our lives are now lived detached from real things. You know this, I hope, that you can't actually have a real friendship through one of these. I mean, they say the word, but it doesn't mean that. Don't get me wrong, technology has brought lots of benefits into our world and into our lives, but when was the last time you asked yourself what it cost? When my grandfather died, one of the most bittersweet things we did as a family was to walk through the then empty house, and every piece of furniture had a story attached to it, reminded us of who they were and how they were and who we are 
And our now house is full of all of that furniture. We have a wall in our house with, the kids call it the ancestor wall, and it has a photograph of my grandfather and his brother from around 1930. And then there's a photo of my great-grandfather and his wife from around 1920. And then there's a photo of my great-great-grandfather taken around 1900. Tells us the story of who we are. But we had this moment of clearing out the record collection, which was vast and hilarious. Some of it was totally bizarre. And so much of who they were was caught up in that collection. Good luck doing that with a Spotify account. We are losing something that is really important for us to be humans when we unhinge ourselves from the real world and dive headfirst into the digital one. This isn't a set all your phones on fire sermon. But it is what are the artifacts in your life of earth and stone and paper and ink that anchor you in the real world? And what role do they play in your life of telling and retelling the story that you are dependent upon? Perhaps it could be the beginning of a revolution in your soul where you say no to the chronic distraction and dissatisfaction that sneaks in the back door of our digital age, a revolution that anchors itself in the greatest story ever told, where Jesus didn't just cross a river, he dove head first into death itself and rendered it powerless. If we are going to leave the past and go somewhere truly new, we need to consecrate ourselves to learn how to see. We need to stand in rivers to learn how to be. And we need to tell and retell ourselves the story of God that will keep us free. How do we actually do this? We learn to see. We step into whatever river God has placed in front of us and we tell and retell ourselves the story of hope that we find ourselves in, regardless of how bleak the world around us gets. If you're able, will you stand? Three questions. What do you see? What river is God asking you to step into? And what story is unfolding in the quiet corners of your inner life? Holy Spirit, we invite you now. Come. Come. We welcome you. We wait on you. Come.
Lord, I pray you'd help us to see. Give us courage to stand in the things that you're inviting us to stand in. And Lord, would you write a story in our lives that we've heard of before but never seen. or some idea some someday then and how that actually comes alive is by men and women and boys and girls deciding to live differently to actually embody things that are different if you haven't noticed what we're seeing on the news right now is how good the powers and principalities of evil and darkness are at convincing people to embody their ideals. When Peter preached at the very beginning of the church, he went to a passage in scripture where he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, your old will be full of dreams and your young will have vision. That the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives will be the ability for us to see differently, to see a future that is different from our past. That's who we've always been as the people of God. And sometimes we forget that. And sometimes we need reminded of that. And there are people in this room who for years have been digging away because they see the world differently. And it's important for us as a church to recognize that and to bless that. for us to be inspired by that and to say yes to that and I'm going to embarrass a few people but that's really important Liam would you just put your hand on David David we just bless the future that you see and we pray Holy Spirit you fill him with all the things that he needs to drag us towards that good and beautiful future Peter and Pauline, I feel like you've always done that among us. You just see things differently in the way that the church needs and the community needs. We just bless that in you. Guys, just put a hand on Peter and Pauline there. Holy Spirit, we bless their gift of sight, the way they see the world. Father, we thank you for the gift that they are to the community, not just the church. For the gift they are to the community. Would you encourage them? Would you bless them? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Because it's so important for us to learn how to see, to recognize things and to say yes to them. Um, I know there are 
loads more of you that I don't know better than, than that right now that are doing this with your lives. Steph, Jenny, JC, we bless you guys. Keith McClure, I feel like this is a new season for you and your business. I feel like you see things differently and the world needs what you see. And we just prophesy right now over you in every part of your life that the vision that Jesus has placed in you, not just your skills and not just your talent, but the vision that Jesus has placed in you will come alive. Some of you are stuck in the past and um, this is a good moment for you to just confess that. Maybe in your own lives, maybe in the way that you do life, but you just know I'm a bit stuck in my past. Can I encourage you just to place your hands out in front of you? Father, I pray right now, would you release these dear people from their past? Release them. Release them, God. Give us eyes to see courage to follow in Jesus in Jesus name we pray